Good morning. It is good to see you, uh, mostly caffeinated people, on this beautiful Sunday morning, piling in here. Uh, it is already, it's already been a great morning so far. It's going to continue to be and get better, and we're so glad that you have decided to make this a part of your Sunday. Uh, I, before I get going, I wanted to introduce you to two more wonderful friends of ours. This is Jamie and Natalie Rogers. They're going to share a little bit of their story. Will you please welcome them and greet them? Thank you. Good morning. Uh, we just want to share a little bit of our serve story and how it's impacted us uh, serving here at the church. So as Taylor Michelle mentioned last week, uh, Caleb talked about uh, giving and being generous, how it is better to give than receive. Well, this is not just true of our finances and resources, but also of our time and our effort. So God calls us to roll up our sleeves and join him in his mission with our talents, our money, our time, and our passions. So my wife and I first stepped into serving about three years ago by asking what the need was at the time. Uh, we said, plug us in to wherever you need us, wherever you can use us. So we became outside greeters and teardown team members. Uh, since then, we have become leaders for both of our teams. God calls each of us to serve. We can serve in many different ways. No service is too small in the kingdom of heaven. It's been cool seeing God work through us in both a behind-the-scenes role with the teardown team and a role out in front on the patio with greeting. God's word states, we love because he first loved us. We also believe the same is true of serving. We serve because he first served us. And through our experience in serving, we can tell you it's a lot more fun and exciting to be a participant rather than a spectator. And we truly believe God can use our small and sometimes hidden acts of love and kindness to change lives, our church, our communities, and eventually the world. We just have to put our faith into action, and that's what serving is. Volunteers can transform society and at the same time really find that deep and personal satisfaction as well. So I want to share a brief story with you about one of my experiences on the patio. So one Sunday, a young girl approached me not necessarily wearing appropriate church attire, but she was looking for the library entrance. So I told her, you know, unfortunately, the library is closed on Sundays, but we actually just have a church service that just started if you want to come in and join on that. So I was, you know, overwhelmed with joy and shock as she accepted my offer to step in and join our church service and um, realized that that's really what serving is all about. So you're not just serving for God and for others in our community, but for yourself as well. So if we are serving as God has called us to, we're living out one of the truest forms possible who God has created us to be and fulfilling our purpose. Serving as God leads us to will ultimately make us more like Jesus as God created us to be. I've noticed that since serving, God has softened my heart and allowed me to take joy in every experience that comes up every interaction that I have, and I'm able to extend more grace and love towards people and see them as Jesus sees them. Serving moves the focus of my heart off of myself and onto others, just like Jesus. That's how Jesus lived and that's how he died, serving us. There's definitely a heart change, and once you experience God using you through serving, you want to keep making yourself available for God to use as often as you can. Serving, to get, serving together has been awesome for our marriage, and we found that serving creates relationships that wouldn't, we wouldn't otherwise have. It allows us to interact with more people at church and strengthen the bonds of our church family. 
We serve once every three weeks, and I found that we have a deeper sense of fulfillment on those weeks that we serve compared to the weeks we simply attend a service. And many, many people might hesitate to volunteer maybe because they're afraid of failing, feel that they don't have the time to step in and serve, or that they think that they might not have anything to offer. And I can agree with some of those. But when we let God lead us where he wants us to serve, we find an incredible sense of satisfaction and joy in that. So you can play it safe on Sundays and be a spectator, or you can join in the fun and through serving, you might discover gifts that you didn't even know you had. Like our friend Lucas here, who knows exactly how to disassemble the kids' classrooms after the last service, and he knows exactly where everything goes in the trailers, and I'm pretty sure he didn't know how to do that until he tried. <laughs> so we know if a three-year-old can do it, you can do it too. And we guarantee that whatever your gifts and talents are, there's a need for them in our church right now. Ephesians 2.10 states, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we serve because we have been served and because we follow Jesus, our leader, who models that servanthood for us. And when we move into our new church home at the movie theater, we know there's going to be a ton more exciting opportunities to serve in, but now is the time to step into serving. Play a part in what God's doing right here and right now, and it's sure to change your life. So check out the volunteer table on the patio after our service. Thank you. The Rogers are fantastic people, good people, as you can tell. We're so grateful for them and so many more of you who serve on a regular basis. Thank you. Uh, we do, we have been last week, this week, and you'll see the step in new theater stuff on the patio. We're going to be talking about that or just keeping it in front of you. And I realize that there might be a little bit of anxiety because we're all human and change is a challenge for most of us. Uh, a little bit of anxiety when it comes toward making this move from here to that Regency movie theater. There's unknowns and there's a natural sense that, oh, maybe things are going to be different. I will tell you flat out up front, yes things will be different. They'll be way more awesome uh, in, in that space. But here's the thing. While some things will be different, the main things will remain the same. We will always be this authentic community. We will always uh, talk about Jesus and his word. We will always uh, be reaching more and more people in our community, impacting our community. And we will always need people to serve, to volunteer, to contribute how God has uniquely made you, just like the Rogers have set an example for us. We need you to play your role. You might not even know what that is, or you might have ideas that we haven't even thought of yet. So like uh, Natalie said, don't wait until the movie theater. Start getting plugged in now. Give us your ideas. Figure out how you can play your role. We need you. Okay, now transition. Uh, I am continuing in the series called Things I Wish Jesus Never Said. And hopefully, if you've been around for a little bit of the series, you've heard some things that have triggered for you, maybe some perspectives for you that have shifted, maybe something that you thought was weird and it turns out isn't quite as weird as you thought it was, or maybe it's even weirder than you thought it was and yet still somehow inspiring to you. Today is another one of those. What Jesus says in this part of the gospel today is uh, so strange and unexpected that on this particular day when he said it is when he lost the most of his followers. So thousands followed, hung on every word, and then on this day, a bunch of people left because they were confused. And I think that it's even possible to still be confused 
today. And so hopefully when I share this story, we'll bring some clarity and that my hope is that for you, it gets very personal and that you even have your own aha moment. Okay. You with me? (laughs) All right. So we're going to go to the gospel of John starting in chapter six. And John was a buddy of Jesus, just so you know, he was inner circle. And so when he writes stuff down, he's writing stuff that he saw with his eyes. Stuff that would be valid in a court setting. Hey, I I give testimony to this, put my hand on the Bible and swear because I saw it and I heard Jesus say this. So when we read stuff in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, these are eyewitness accounts that people are picking up and John was inner circle. So this is a powerful, powerful story. And here it goes, verse one from chapter six. After this, Jesus crossed over the far side of the Sea of Galilee also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Now remember that little piece because as we'll see, there's tons and tons of people. They're flocking to Jesus. They just want to get around him and be near him because he's doing all these miracles. And the whole countryside is a buzz. Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen this guy? Did you hear what he did to Sally? He, he healed her of that disease thing and that problem. And, and this guy, and they're totally, his life has changed. We gotta go and see this Jesus. Oh, and he does these, these miracles for these kinds of people too. Like people that seem like they were outsiders of the church. They're not really on the religious inside. And he, he seems to love them too. Hey, let's, let's find this guy. And so they are gathering around. Next verse. Soon Jesus saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. And turning to Philip, one of his disciples, he said, where can we buy bread to eat to feed all of these people? He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Isn't that a little bit cold? (laughs) You're like, Jesus, you're testing the guy just for fun, for kicks, for giggles for you. You already know what you're going to do. So not only does Jesus already know what he's going to do, but he's God, like with skin on. And so he already knows what Philip is going to say. So he's setting Philip up right here, and it's not pretty. Why does he do that? I think, I I just think, that it's because he's giving Philip a teachable moment. This is a marker for Philip, that Philip's going to answer, Philip's going to, something's going to happen here, and then he'll be able to look back in the future, and he'll say, oh, that was kind of embarrassing. Remember when, remember when I did that? That was what I understood about God then, and now I understand this. That was where my faith was then, but now I see things this way. Next verse, Philip replies, even if we worked for months, We wouldn't have enough money to feed all these people. There's thousands of people here. And then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, another disciple, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Now, here's what I think is happening. Why would you even bring up five loaves of bread and two fish when you're looking at a sea of people, thousands, I believe that Andrew was just thinking about his little inner circle. Like maybe with five loaves and two fish, we, the disciples, the important ones, can have a snack. And then he catches himself and realizes that he's being selfish. So so he's like, "Ah, but that's silly because we couldn't obviously feed all these people. But what about a snack for us? 
right? Because they're human, they get hungry, and they don't want to take care of all of these people. They're walking with Jesus. They want, you know, they want to be taken care of. Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Ladies, I'm sorry, this is thousands of years ago, and they didn't count women or children. They just counted the men. Maybe it was because it was only women who could count. And so (laughs) they were... Then Jesus took the loaves and he gave thanks to God and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. They picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. You notice that there's 12 baskets full and there were 12 disciples. Isn't that uh, brilliant of Jesus? I think that he just wanted the disciples to know as they gathered 12 baskets full left, I've got this, guys. I've got this. I know that you are concerned about you getting a snack. So everybody is full. Some five to 15,000 people probably are full and you get your own basket. I've got this. You're going to be okay. I've got your back. I can provide. I have this whole thing under control. Now, verse 14. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, Surely he is the prophet we've been expecting. When they saw Jesus, uh, when they saw that, they, when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away to the hills by himself. Okay. So here's where, lean in, I want to make sure that you get this. So what happens is, Jesus does a bread miracle. This is bread, if you can't see it, it's all torn apart. Jeanette did that, she tore it all apart very nicely so that you could see. This would be like the scrap pieces that are all left, a basket full of them. Jesus did a crazy bread miracle. And now all the people that have come out to see, is he really a miracle prophet guy? Their suspicions are confirmed. And now they have bread and more even than they want so that there's 12 baskets left over, which makes some of them the more strategic perhaps among them, want to make him king and to say, hey, let's organize this little movement. Let's put some formality to this. Uh, We can make the miracle guy, prophet guy, our king guy. And we can legislate these things and he can take over and we can be in the inner circle. We'll have more power and prestige and prominence in his inner circle. Enough with just 12 disciples. He needs a full cabinet. Maybe I could be secretary of state. Maybe I could have this position of prominence. And so we see that there are people that are attracted to the miracles, and we get that. A God who can make miracles? You mean I hang out with this guy and I get a free lunch every day? I don't have to work as hard anymore because I know that I get to eat whenever I'm with Jesus. He's just going to take care of it. And I know that I have potential, more power, more position, more authority, potential with this guy. This is great. This is really looking good for us. And then 
Jesus sends the disciples ahead on a boat, and he, you know, he withdraws. He goes into the hills, it says. And later that night, the disciples are freaking out in the water, and Jesus walks out on the water to them. You know, he just he walks on water. It's no big deal, blah, blah, blah. And, and, then, and then they get to the shore, and people the next morning, they see, wait, the disciples are here, and Jesus is here, but he didn't get into the boat. Does, do, you, do you walk on water too? No way. We've got a bread dispenser and a guy who walks on water. This is getting better every day. I'm with him. I'm with him. Let's, let's make this guy king. Let's elevate this guy. I want to be with you. Miracle Jesus. Jesus replies to them, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you. Not because you understand what I'm doing here. Not because you understand the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. Roger, you can just leave that one up there for a second. We'll talk about the eternal life piece in a few minutes, uh, but if you've been around a little while, you might have heard me refer to my Aunt Joyce and my Uncle Joe. They live in Scottsdale, and growing up as we were kids, we would go over to their house for holidays and special events, especially on Easter and birthdays. We would do these scavenger hunts, where on Easter they would give us an egg with a little message inside. Birthdays, they would just give us the message, and we would get there, and the first message would take us to a place in the house, and then to the backyard, and then we'd get another message and go somewhere else, and, and all the way to the end of the little scavenger hunt, and there was an awesome toy, usually a G.I. Joe. <laughs> and we would be pumped, and we would play with the G.I. Joe for the rest of the day. And there was this one holiday, where we went over to Uncle Joe and Aunt Joyce's house, and we run in the door, and we're like, where's the message? Where's the hunt? And Uncle Joe says, oh, no scavenger hunt today. And I don't remember if I said anything, but on my face, I must have said the equivalent of, well, let's go home then. <laughs> because Aunt Joyce got sad. And Uncle Joe then responds and says, it's not enough just to be at our house for dinner? And even as a kid, I knew I'd screwed up. Like, oh man, I hurt their feelings. We had gotten so used to the gifts that we made them feel like we don't even care about them. Just the presence, just the stuff that they might do for us. Just the miracles that this guy might provide just the experience or just the hope, the power of potential, maybe having more influence, maybe having things worked out, maybe him making things line up for us in our lives. Then they replied, we want to perform good works too. What should we do? Just reemphasizing this side of the equation. How can we achieve more? Well, just, here, here, Jesus, just give us the formula. Just tell us what to do because we want to be with you and if you have a kingdom, we want to be in it and, and you're the miracle bread God and so we, we want what you have. So just tell us what to do. Give us the list. We'll check the boxes. We'll do, we'll do that. There's miracles and experiences, and there's mandates and methodologies. Now, 
Get this for a second. If I lost you, zero back in. Because you find yourself somewhere on this spectrum. I do too. Where we go to God like a genie in a bottle. You rub that lamp, three wishes, give me that miracle. Come on, do that thing. I want that mountaintop experience. I'm going to go to this gathering. I'm going to go to this event. I'm going to have this experience I want because I want to get that fire. I want to show me that stuff. Show me that magic stuff, God. Show me that mystical stuff. Show me, show me, show me. Give me the experiences. Give me those miracles. Or some of us are more on the other side of the spectrum. And it's, do you just tell me what to do? <laughs> Can you just give me the list of right action steps and the things to avoid so that I can gain in standing in your kingdom and in your eyes and that my life will go better? Can you just, can you just tell me what to do? All the while, Jesus is standing there like, you want the miracles? Okay, I mean, I'll do some, I'll do some more miracles. You want the mandates and the lists and the disciplines? Okay. I mean, that's fine too. But what I really want you to want is me. I'm here. I'm with you. I'm the God of the universe. Me. The next thing Jesus says is this. He, Jesus told them, this is the only work that God wants from you, to believe in the one that he has sent to believe in me. This is a relationship. I want you to know me. I want you to be with me. I want you to believe in me. I told you we'd talk about the eternal life part of it. Here's what Jesus says about eternal life. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Did you know that's what eternal life is? To know Jesus. It's personal. It's not about just experiencing some miracles, although that's great. It's not about a bunch of list of do's and don'ts, although those are helpful. It's a relationship. It's knowing Jesus. And when you come to know the God of the universe who designed you, eternal life starts. It's started already. You're in it. You're living it. Verse 30, they answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say that Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father, God, gave you bread from heaven. It was him who did it. And now he offers you the true bread of heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is talking about himself. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. I am that bread. I am that bread of life that sustains you. You, you talk about manna. Look at 
Manna is a great example because God dropped it on the ground all the time for your ancestors. The whole point was that it was a daily dose. You just gathered up enough for that day and then it was gone and you had to trust that it would be there again. I want the same for you. I am that bread of life and I will sustain you day by day. That's what this is about. That's what we're doing here. I will sustain you. It's about me. And the people don't get it and they keep arguing with them. They're like, this is weird. We're supposed to like eat your what? This is bonkers. And Jesus like leans in even further and he says, yeah, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And they're like, this is offensive. Are you kidding me? And that's when that moment is when a bunch of them leave. And they say, are you suggesting that you're not going to do any more miracles? Like we don't get the sourdough? Are you suggesting that you're not interested in being king and there's no progress for us? There's no up and to the right? That doesn't, that's not in our future? He says, no, 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 no. I'll still do some miracles and you can still have a place and there's still habits and all these, all that's fine. But this is about me. The point is, it's personal. It's personal. I want this to be you and me, he says. You come to me and you want the, the experience and the rah-rah and the wahoo. But I'm right here with you, the God of the universe who whispers to your soul, who inspired life itself. And some of you want the climb the ladder of success and religious accomplishments and but I'm telling you, I am enough. I'm enough. You can have that, and you can have that. I'm enough. I am what you really need. I, I know what you're going through. I know your confusion around it. I know that it scares you to death because you'd prefer to just put me in a religious box and check the boxes at the appropriate times. I know, I know, I know it's a little bit disappointing because you just want to have a bread dispenser and just good times. But I'm telling you, this is about you and me. And it's personal. And it's the only thing that will satisfy you. Because I designed you with a magnetic pull in your soul. You need me. This is what we're created to do. I created you this way. Jesus is enough. So I want you to find yourself on this spectrum because we're all here. I lean a little bit more this direction. Give me the list of to-dos. I want to be significant in your kingdom. Tell me how this plays out. Uh, just tell me what to do and I'll, and I'll be better. I'll be better. I'll work hard. I know that's a lot of you. And then others of us skew a little bit more in this direction. I want the experience. I want to feel it. I want to have the miracle. I, you know, I'm sorry, God, I haven't talked to you in a while, but I really need you to do this now. Rub the vase, rub the vase. Jeannie, where are you? I'm not making fun of anybody. We're all on this spectrum. But Jesus pauses, reminds them, reminds you right now. That's fine. But the real secret, what you really want 
in your core and in your soul and in your heart of hearts, even though it kind of freaks you out, is just to walk with me. Day by day, moment by moment, that's what this is about. That's what I've always wanted with you. And so in church settings like this, uh, you probably hear people talk about communion. Maybe you've heard that term if you grew up Catholic, if you uh, grew up in traditions where it's like an every Sunday thing, or you could pop in in the evenings and do the deal. And that all comes from this story of Jesus talking about him being the bread of life. And then later he sits down with his disciples and he says, hey, take my body, drink my blood. We'll, I'll read these verses to you. Let's do... Yeah, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, this, take this and eat it, for this is my body. And then he took the cup of wine and he gave thanks for it, gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it. This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for the sins of many. So when people talk about communion, they're talking about that. They're talking about Jesus giving up himself for us. And communion, in most places, in a lot of places, it becomes another one of these religious formalities. Just tell me what to do, how often to do it. Let me check the box. Okay, we good? All right, good. Jesus, God, I, I did my thing. We're good. And he reminds us again this morning, no, 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 no. It's personal. Communion, the synonyms for communion are relationship, intimacy, and closeness. That's what communion is. It's relationship, it's intimacy, and it's closeness. It's not just going through the motions. And it's not just showing up and say, if I do this, will you multiply my bank account this week? Will you do some miracles over here? And so the reason why we don't do communion every Sunday or even every month in our church is because we don't want it to be one of these things. We don't want it to be a negotiation piece for more miracles, and we don't want it to be this just formulaic approach to religion. The best place to experience this kind of remember Jesus sacrifice thing is at dinner with friends and family, because that was Jesus' model. Sitting around a dinner table, you don't even have to have bread or grape juice, or wine. It can be something else. The point is remembering. So our elders and our leaders are going to pass these things along. And would you, well, you'll find it's a little cup. There's a wafer on top. You peel the top layer, take the wafer, peel the next layer, take the juice. I want you just to hold it for a moment, though. Hold it for a moment. The band is going to lead us in a couple of songs while everybody gets the cup. And then I'll come back I'll explain what we're going to do, and we'll eat, and we'll sip together. Just imagine Jesus sitting around a dinner table with his closest friends and followers, and he says, guys, I'm not going to be with you in a little bit here. I'm going to uh, allow myself to be arrested and captured and killed, and I'm going to be killed on a cross. In other words, my body, I'm going to intentionally allow my body to be broken for you. So periodically, I want you to remember that by taking some bread or taking something like that, like this wafer or cracker, and I want you to break it, so let's all break it, and just reflect on me allowing myself to be broken for you. Because guys, for me, this is really personal, Jesus says. 
really personal. I imagine he looks every one of them in the eye. I'm going to sacrifice myself for you, for you, for you. So do this and remember that sacrifice. And then you can open up this little cup of juice and imagine Jesus with his friends around a dinner table, looking each one of them in the eyes in the same way that he still whispers to your soul and saying, guys, this is really personal for me because I'm about to allow myself to go and suffer great pain and my blood is literally going to pour out for the sins of the world, including yours, including yours, including yours, including yours. And so periodically I want you to do this and remember, remember how personal it is. That yes, it's for the sins of the world, but it's also for your sins. You and me, we're in this together. So drink this juice and remember my sacrifice for you. You can just hold on to those cups and toss them in gas in uh, garage can or garage cans, garbage cans, on your way out. You can take them home to your garage if you want. I think it's great that Jesus gave them this symbol over dinner, because you and I eat two, three, some of you crazy people, six times a day. And every time you eat food, it can serve as a reminder to say, as much as I need food as fuel to sustain me, I need Jesus even more. He is the bread of life. He is the sacrifice for the world, and he is what sustains me really. So whatever it is that I'm going through, whatever it is that I'm facing, whatever challenge, whatever mystery, whatever doubts I have, whatever discouragement I'm facing, whatever tragedy in my life, I can trust that you, God, are enough. Yeah, maybe you'll do some miracles and I'll be pumped on that. Maybe you can give me some habits and things like that and I'll grow in this way. But what I know is what I really need, my soul really needs day by day, moment by moment is just you. Walking with you, whispering, talking with you, letting you guide and steer me on this journey of life. That is what you have made me for and I will trust you.